Hello everyone, welcome to episode 1008 of Cold Wave Soundcheck. I'm Aaron Pond. Cold Wave 10 is the biggest show yet, taking place September 22nd through the 25th at Metro, Smart Bar, Riviera Theater, and La Nocturne. Cold Waves is a celebration of Chicago's relationship with industrial music, the memory of a fallen brother, and a fundraiser for Darkest Before Dawn, a nonprofit providing resources and support for workers in the nightlife industry. For more information, including the full lineup and ticket links, head to coldwaves.net. This week, we are chatting with Saturday Metro performer Ned Kirby. This is Stromker. Inside it. 
Let's go back to 1994, which is a good time because that was when I started to get into the scene. Uh, the internet was in its infancy. I was in a Nine Inch Nails chat room. Someone sent me a mixtape. It had Acumen on it. It had ChemLab. It had 16 volts on it. I figured out who Fifth Column and Recon were. And it, like my mind was just like bubbling up with all the possibilities. So take me back to, to 94. Tell me what was going on in Wisconsin and, and what you're into. Yeah, 94. Uh, so that would have been, I was probably also working that recon stuff pretty hard. So I was involved with, a, I wasn't in at university at that point, but there was a university kind of events organization called DMF. And together with a bunch of other people, I was DJing there and we were putting on some events. We put on Geez, I think we put on Halo Black and Chem Lab once upon a time. And you got to keep in mind, this was in like a, by day, this place was a university cafeteria. And then on Saturday nights, we would have to basically transform it into, into something else. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, was doing that and listening to, yeah, it was, as you said, a super exciting time. Um, there was a lot of cool stuff coming out. I remember spending hours on the phone talking to Chase you know, finding out about what was going on. And yeah, I don't remember what it was. At some point, I just decided I, I needed to start doing this stuff, you know, give it give it a go myself. Then over the years, over the next several years, I kind of moved more away from DJing and more into my own productions. And, and that's really kind of got how it got kicked off. 
it's interesting to look back on it now because now, I mean, people said this in the early 2000s too, you know, we were doing a, doing a lot of touring and, and, you know, Caustic was getting going and these other bands were getting going and suddenly it was like, what's in the water out there? You know, why are there, it's like, cause it's this, not the kind of place you would necessarily expect. We all sort of at the same time were like, Hey, we, you know, why can't we do this? And so people just started doing it. So you're, you're starting off, you're, you're finding your sound, you're making some music. Um, did you try looking at uh, putting it out on, on Recon or, or Wax Tracks or anything local before you found um, uh, the European label? I do remember having a conversation with Don Blanchard, who was the guy who ran 21st Circuitry at that point, because I had sent him a demo, this being the era when you could still send demos around as opposed to having to spring fully formed from the mind onto, onto the internet. My orientation was a little more electronic at that. I mean, I was really, there, there was stuff coming out of Europe that I was really interested in as I, my own sound started to move kind of away from the, from the recon type of stuff. I still love that stuff to death. What I was doing, I don't think was really, would have been right for the label. And I think it was also about that time, Chase, the label basically disintegrated and he he was moving on. He was doing other things, and there was some issue with cargo. I don't remember what at all all of it was, but kind of right about the time. I mean, Recon would have been. I was a I was a big backer of a Recon act called Non Aggression Pact, and they actually had a had a kind of a big influence on my formative sound, along with Meat Beat Manifesto and, and that kind of stuff. And I think Chase might have been sympathetic to that, but it was just it wasn't wasn't happening. So yeah, I really was kind of looking more towards Europe and started sending stuff out. There was just tons of labels and tons of stuff happening over there at that time. And the underground was, it was a little more obvious where to find it, I guess. Okay. So, so you get picked up and you're on a European label, but you don't have American distribution. Is that what led you to, to decide to relocate or did that come later on? That came later on. I mean, I, I, I came over to, to Germany at that time would have been maybe 98 spent a year over here and kind of, you know, met, met some people and made some contacts and, and got a, and that kind of got things, helped get things going a little bit and helped us get some tours and some festival slots and stuff uh, in, in the early 2000s. But then it became clear I was going to, you know, be in the States for the foreseeable and, and then started looking around for somebody to work with there. And that's when we, I actually don't remember exactly how I met Bart and Dave, but they kind of found me or I, I don't, I really actually, <laughs> now that you ask it, I don't really remember how, it, how exactly that happened. They must've seen us play because at some point, I think I came back from Europe and basically just decided, okay, we're going to tour. We got to, I just, just got to do this. We just got to do this. You know, you can't wait. It was like, I'm not going to wait around for somebody that if you want to do that. You're going to wait around forever. So, all right, we just got to, get in the van and start calling people. I had done, I had spent, I think the other thing in the States, I'd spent a fair amount of time in the late nineties working as a sound engineer, or a monitor engineer for different bands. And so I'd been around the States a few times and knew at least a few promoters and kind of knew what some of the clubs were and, and had a few ins. And so there were at least I kind of knew where, who we needed to talk to, to get that going. Yeah, the other big uh, the other big break in the states was there was a, a festival Sarah and her partner at the time put on called Saturnalia. I think that was 2000, 2001. 
and she asked us to play or asked me to play that. And at that time I didn't have a band. I didn't have a live band. So I just said, yeah, sure. But that's sometimes how you got to do it. You just got to say yes first and figure out the details later. Um, and so that was, a. I think that may have been where actually we're WT2 where I met Bart and Dave and they, and they started to get interested. Your second album, uh, Damarung. I was re-listening to a bunch of the older tracks and I noticed that for Imtrom, you sing in German. Was that like a, a specific move to see if there would be more interest singing in the native language or is that just something you were interested in doing besides that? It was really just kind of a lark. I mean, what I discovered in the making of that, I mean, I certainly was very, during the making of that record, I was very focused on Europe and very focused on Germany and the German scene. And I kind of had this naive idea that that, that would somehow make a difference. And it really doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I know now with the benefit of hindsight, I can look back and go, yeah, that stuff to a native speaker sound, it doesn't work the same way. It's like when, you know, the Germans do a track in weird English, it's kind of like, okay, it's Germans doing weird English. But when it goes the other way, it just, you just, it just sounds really off. <laughs> so it was alluring, you know, and the label at the time, you know, George, who's a nice guy, he said, look, sat me down and said, look, you got to change the name of this record. This doesn't make any sense. And you can't, you can basically, you know, knock this off. Will you please do something reasonable? And I stuck to my guns and said, no, this is the record. This is what I want. And this is the concept. Okay. So we're not going to put it out then. And then found had to uh, find somebody else to, to release it. I think there's some interesting ideas on that record, but it's not ultimately, you know, one to stand the test of time. <laughs> What is the title of the album and the song? What do they translate to? Deberung and Traum is supposed to be, Deberung is, is like uh, Twilight. Twilight in dreams or Twilight. In, I mean, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. It was just like, I was finding, I, I didn't really speak German very well. I was, and yeah, in Traum. So that particular track, a lot of the lyrics are, are actually from an Austrian poet. So they work a little bit better. They're not completely my own invention. But that track, I mean, perversely, then in the States, that track was, prob was probably, and even in Germany, actually, at that point, that was our first real, well, Heretic had done very, had, had been a club hit over here. And, uh, but Impalm was kind of broke in the States a little bit. I just love the layers to that of an American in Europe singing in German breaks out in America. <laughs> I mean, looking back on it now, you know, there was no grand plan. I was just kind of following whatever I was passionate about at that particular moment in time. And it's a miracle that anything happened at all, frankly.
It seems like it never works out in the end But it's not like you never been scars Keep walking by and you keep asking why And the world are you trying so So then after that, you did uh, Light It Up in 2004, but then there was a big gap before Dead Letters in 2012. So tell me about the, the time period between those. After Light It Up, were, were you done for a little bit? Did, were you working on other things? Yeah, well, I mean, but between Dameron and, and Light It Up was Armageddon, and that was probably our, I mean, Armageddon and, and Light It Up, were, we were doing the most stuff. 2006, we did a, I don't know, we were out with Frontline for, for about three months in total. We did this whole, did the States with them and then turned around and did Europe with them later that summer. I think by 2007, 2008, I was getting really burned out and kind of had to step back. And so Dead Letters was going to then be the start of, yeah, there, there's actually a companion EP to that that has, was recorded and, and, and never released for various reasons. But it was, at that, at that point, it was, yeah, kind of life is getting in the way. And of course, the, yeah, around that time, 2011, 2012, all kinds of things were changing. At that point, I moved back to Europe and, and have been back here ever since. And so then that made touring in the States a much trickier proposition. But now we're, you know, there may be some, some movement again. So you got to kind of let these things take their, take their course. That sounds like a good sign if things are, things are starting to pick up again. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's stuff that's been around, there's unreleased stuff, and there's ideas that I've had and things I've worked on on and off. And I've, I've been, I mean, part of the other thing was I, in that last 10 years, I was playing with my friend, Andrew Seagus Band, who plays keyboards in Stronger and Live, and his band Iris was doing a lot of touring, released a number of records, and I was, had the pleasure to tour with them as a live member uh, for those, all those campaigns. And so whenever I did have free time, basically it was, you know, whenever the schedule allowed, okay, I can take three weeks for a tour or whatever. It was, it was, there was usually an Irish tour going on. So 
yeah, so in that sense, Drunker kind of took a backseat uh, to that as well during that period. Does it make it easier to, to think about it in terms of this is not like my full-time career. I don't need to, to come up with new material to like put food on the table and be able to function during the day? Or is it more that it's a, a background thought now so it just doesn't really move as quickly? First thing is I remember very distinctly where I was and what was happening. There was this moment and it was like, I have got to pick one thing. I cannot keep trying to like burn the candle at both ends. Like we either got to be all in on this and go as far as it's going to go. Or I got to say, I got to direct most of my energy somewhere else. You know, there's a adage about don't make any major life decisions while you're sitting in a broom closet somewhere waiting to go on stage to play for 15 people, you know? So I'm like, okay, let's sleep on it. But in the end, it it was like, at that time, I just felt like it was taking more than it was giving. And it didn't, it wasn't clear what the, what the end game was. It's super hard. I mean, and I know I have other friends, I know people and have massive respect for people who, who really give it a go, but it is really tough out there. And you need, you can't just be good. You need a lot of luck and you need a lot. I mean, anyway, so that was part of it. And then I always thought, oh, well, it's, as you were saying, you know, it's a good thing to not have to, to not have to eat from it. You know, you don't need to put food on the table. And so that gives you a certain amount of freedom. So I've gotten older. I, I feel like actually when it's the only thing you do and when it's the thing you have to do, you, and artists tell, say this all the time, you've got to treat it like work. You know, the muse does not come and visit you. You've got to get up and, and go to your desk and, and write every day. And most of those ideas are going to be terrible. And some of them are going to be good. But the good ones are not, it's like you don't just sit around waiting for the good ones to appear. You work every day and some days you got a bad day at the office, you know, but you've got you've to put in that time. And that it becomes, when you, when you do have another, another career, that becomes, I think, harder and harder to do, to find the time and to find the energy to do it. You know, and you probably know you've got kids or you've got other responsibilities. It just becomes really, uh, really challenging to do that. You're going to play this, this year at Cold Waves. So what what made this year the right time to play Cold Waves? I, I saw you showed up with Caustic at a Mechanismus back in 2019, but I, I'm not sure when else lately you've been playing. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time Stromkern played proper would have been, we did some, we did a Dead Letters release show at the DNA. And that would have been, I think, 2012. So Jason, bless his heart, you know, has called every year and said, Hey man, look, you know, are you, you know, the invitation's up in, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to have you. And the timing has just kind of, for various reasons, never worked out the weekend that they, the festival, I've actually never been to a cold wave. I'm, I'm ashamed to say, because the weekend that it, that it is, has just always been a problem. And so this year it was like, okay, that, that, that whole month is free. Like might actually be able to do this. So I talked to the guys and, you know, said, can, is this, do we think we can, we can pull this off. And they said, yeah. So I talked to Jason and said, Hey, you know, this might be the year. Uh, and, you know, again, very grateful to him that he has made the offer, you know, um, for all this time. I mean, we're obviously not, uh, you know, a headline act <laughs> of the, of the, of the kind of acts, but, but he's, he's all, yeah. I mean, there's support and yeah, has been, has been exceptional. It's important to to him, and I think it's important to me and a lot of other people that 
even after 10 years, as music evolves and there's there's new things coming in, there's there's always something from that classic era, you know, that is something out of out of the mid 90s. You know, Halo Black is going to play that weekend. It's like it's like the, these are these are the things in the back of my mind that just I feel like I'm 16 again. And yes, this one's an all ages show, so I can go to it, you know, and a lot of these bands I couldn't see because they weren't an all ages show. So, you know, you and them and just, it's always at least a couple of bands every year, but I think it's important to still have those because that, that was part of what it was all about. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I mean, I'm really excited and honored and, and I think it'll be a blast. And, um, and we're going to do a couple other shows too, as well. We're going to do a few dates on the West coast, which is to be a little crazy uh, because we got to get back to Chicago in time for, for, for cold waves. But, um, but I think it'll be good. It'll be a, a good weekend.
can't imagine the half of them Petrified, genocide, maximize worlds that they've undermined It's a place, it's a time, it's a lifeline It's a chance to atone for a lifetime Put your hands to the sky when you testify Put them up, keep them up till you realize Killing them once is like killing them twice Killing with something that's a killing device If you're killing me slowly like you're killing them nice If it's killing you after, well alright On this episode, you heard Night Riders, Perfect Sunrise, and Stand Up. Stromkern can be found at stromkern.bandcamp.com. Our opening music is Euthanasia by Acumen Nation. Our closing music is Messiah by Splinter Group. Subscribe to the show through Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us next week as we chat with Orphix. Our closing segment each week is dedicated to the inspiration for Cold Waves, Jamie Duffy. Here is Ned again sharing his memories of Jamie. I just have this memory. I don't know where we were. We were in Fort Lauderdale or we some godforsaken place. It had been another tough night, and we had started basically started helping out with the roadieing stuff. And just to remember working with Jamie after the show. Okay, what do we got to get together? What needs to go where? What goes in which flight case? You know, how could we help you guys out, basically? And his attitude was just so, I mean, I remember him saying, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, some days it's tough, but he's like, this is what I got into this for, you know, to be rapping cable, touring with the bands I love, you know, making the music that I love. And even in the, even in a terrible night, you know, even when everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. He was just loving it and out there and and doing what needed to be done. And it was really inspiring. I always think about that. Think about that time.